Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today, we're going to talk to Craig Pothier. Pothier? Pothier. All of the above. Craig was raised in a small town in Nova Scotia, Canada, and he loved playing sports. He excelled at hockey and baseball, which gave him the confidence he needed to fit in as a child. But when he transitioned from elementary school to high school, he realized that people cared more about partying than sports. He quickly discovered that alcohol gave him the self-esteem boost he needed. At the age of 27, after moving from a town in Canada with a population of 1,000 to New York City, a population of 8 million, he found himself frequenting bars to make friends. When he was on the cusp of losing his job, his sanity, and his marriage, at the age of 36, he finally checked into a rehab facility and began a recovery journey that took time, perseverance, and my favorite, courage. Craig now resides in Austin, Texas, and has dedicated his life to helping others as a sober life coach at Mind Uncaged, where he helps people clear a path to an alcohol-free life without limits. Oh, my boy, Craig. We had such a good time on this podcast, on this episode. We had such a good time. It was really fun. Craig's story is really classic alcoholism. Really all, it hits all the, the you know, the highlights of what happens, what it was like, and how alcohol turns on you. We talk a lot about the insanity of alcoholism, the great parts of, you know, what it's like before it gets crazy and bad, all the feelings. I mean, this was just, he he just had a very, yeah, just like a really classic walkthrough to how this stuff happens. I think a lot of times people you know, see someone like Craig who was successful in, in you know, every other right in his life. And they're like, how do you get, how did he get here? How, what, what, what did that look like? Why does, why does that happen? How does one wake up in detox one day at 36? And it's just talking through his recovery journey and his, his substance abuse journey as well. You hear about, you know, kind of the same thread that, happens and and what happens also um he you know aa wasn't for him um he tried it a bunch and that he's been able to re- find recovery in other ways so i think that it's really cool that we get to talk to craig and walk through this journey with him you know just such a a really pure case of alcoholism if that's the case and i just i had a great time we laughed a lot so there's that this is going to be episode 95. All right, people, let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We're a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Please podcast, and it was just a really funny way to start with, this is the picture that I was sent. Yep, that's it. 
That's it. Okay. And then that was what I was, so this picture to just, how old were you in this picture? I think mom said I was in the ninth grade for that picture. Okay. And so I was like teenager. You were like teenager. Okay. And and tell me about this haircut. That is something that we used to, uh, growing up, I used to, it's actually very similar to what I have now, but we used to like shave like close to the head under here. And then it's like the bowl haircut. And I just had that for the longest time. My mother said, like, you've had the same haircut for the longest time. But for some reason, this, like, school picture, the way it was combed and the way the hair mm-hmm. dried just looked absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, that's what she picked out for me. You know, it looks very 90s to me. Was it 90s? It was. Yeah, it looks very 90s. It doesn't look, it's not like a horrible, it's, I mean, we've seen <laughs> way, way worse, but yeah. I, I definitely, but I was just reading to uh, Ashley that side parts are how you show that you're old now and center parts are now back in style. So side parts are for olds. Everyday Gen Zers find a new way to let their elders know their millennial is showing. Perhaps the quickest way to spot an aging millennial these days is to look at how their hair is parted. That onslaught of center parts we were previously warned about, it's here, along with Gen Z discourse built on shaming millennials for their side parts. So you had a center part when when otherwise you would have been a side part, and now that's totally in and means that apparently we're not old. That's amazing. I love that because I've been through like the side parts, the center parts, the right. three-quarter parts, right, the, right, right. every which part. Yeah. And, and yeah, now you're the, finally relevant. Like this well, is kind of, yeah. I'm like kind of off to the side. Well, you're a little I'm off center. Sure. Yeah. I, that's Uh-oh. bad. Okay. So that could, I mean, we want to think through that. Yeah. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to part it differently. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you kind of will. I bet you'll be like, Oh Oh my gosh. Okay. So what is, when did you start, when did you get sober? I'm a little over three years now. Awesome. 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 So in that picture, were you drinking and using? Uh, If it was ninth grade, I probably, I started drinking in ninth grade. Okay. Okay. Um, So so that that would have been like the beginning, the very beginning of me drinking. Okay. Which is crazy to think about. Like, and I like looking at that picture, like how young I was like, wow. Yeah. Like the baby, the baby. Yeah. Yeah. When I look back at pictures of me, I don't know if you have the same feeling, but how like mature and old you felt at the time. And then you look at the photo and you see like the baby face and the braces. You're like, oh my God. (laughs) What was it? Yeah. 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 I was holding a 40 looking like that. That's, I don't even know how to feel about that. I know. So tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? What was your family life like? I grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia, Canada. So um, when you say small, though, I feel like a lot of people say small town. They mean like 300,000 people and that kind of thing. A thousand, like a thousand people. Yeah. That's, Is that small in your book? That, that's, that's, that's real small. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that that's it, it was a small town. Everybody knows everybody. The main industry there was uh, lobster fishing. So, the town I lived in was the suburbs of a town of 5,000. 
that, wow. that's how you can look at it. So it's very small. Um, very small. I grew up, there was still like, we. I still had plenty of friends. There was still like a good uh, community of kids. We had a local elementary school, with, which went from like kindergarten to eighth grade. Wait, how many people were in each class? Just out of uh, like 20. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, a, a fair a fair amount. Uh, maybe some were like plus or minus a few. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. About that's normal size. Yeah. And yeah, we just, it's it, for me, it was like a normal growing up. Like we'd play street hockey or we'd play baseball or we'd play hide and go seek. Um, it was a lot of outdoor stuff. I, I guess Nintendo and stuff came later um, in life. So we, we weren't much of the gamers, but um, like more as, as we came along, like probably more towards my teenage years came like the Nintendos and stuff and people started being introduced to gaming. But for me, I was always into sports and playing outdoors and running around, riding my bike, friends' houses, and doing that kind of stuff. I came home one day, and my father had hired this, I don't know what, what kind of backhoe or truck you call it, but he, he got someone to dig a pond in our backyard so that I or the community could have a place to play hockey and skate. And he strung, like, lights across um, awesome. the ice surface so it's like it, every night was like hockey at craig's house and that was oh that's awesome absolutely amazing wait hold on every night you mean like every how, how tell us about the weather in nova scotia it's well it's canada so um not every night during the summer but in the winter yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's ice on that pond yeah um that was a pretty like predictable yeah pretty predictable um, very few days without ice on that pond in the winter. So every night, yeah, we had lights and we'd have a game of hockey at night. Um, friends so would cool. come over. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And in the summer, we'd play baseball with kids. And um, I became getting serious with sports, like playing hockey every night. I, I was like, it became not something for fun. It became something more or less, I want to be good at this. And yeah. I, I'm really going to like try my hardest. I want to make like these teams that are out there playing, playing really high level hockey. And then I ended up making those teams and I ended up making the teams that I wanted to uh, play with for baseball. So in the summer, instead of playing hockey, my father and I would go out after dinner and play catch and he would be the catcher and I would practice my pitching and he would coach me on how to be a better pitcher. Now, I, he was never a great pitcher, but he was able to coach me. <laughs> there <laughs> and, you go. And I, and I became good at it. And um, that, that growing up, like probably in my teenage years, I started playing AAA hockey and A baseball, um, A-level baseball. And I, yeah, it was just, that was something I, was, I really got serious in. And that led eventually to where I went from elementary school and then I went to high school. So I would say that's probably where a lot of my dysfunction came from, just as a human. Going from Bef- elementary school to high school. Before we get there, sure. what did your parents do and what were they like? They, my father was an auto body mechanic. Okay. So he worked on cars all day. He had his own business. He worked a lot. He worked all day and after dinner and after practicing baseball or hockey, he would still go back to his shop and continue working. So he'd probably be gone for like all day till seven or eight o'clock at night. Sometimes he would be, if he didn't have work at the shop, he'd be out in our shop in the back of our house working on like woodworking projects just for around the house. He would, he just was a handyman. So he liked to make furniture or whatever he thought we needed. He would 
having married someone who tried to fix our dishwasher with a hammer, literally hit it with a hammer to fix it. I feel so much uh, like attraction and respect for men who this like handyman fix it like that. <laughs> if you can build me a chair, I am over the moon. I don't care what you know about the stock market. I just, I just, want, <laughs> I just want someone to fix the lights. You know what I mean? That's hilarious. I yeah. love it. I, I, he, he was definitely a jack of all trades um, in that aspect. He fixed. Uh, I, I mean, he was. He didn't build our home, but he definitely helped build our home with right. all other people in the community, like other tradesmen. But yeah, he worked on our cars. For our cars, we he would go to a junkyard um, for a car that was totaled wow. and fix it. That's awesome. And so, yeah, he didn't worry about going to the dealership and wasting all that money on a, I shouldn't say wasting, but spending all that money on car payments. He just literally bought the parts that the car needed and fixed it. Yeah. Um, and those were the cars that we drove growing were, up. Were there, did he fix up any awesome ones that you remember? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, uh, you know, Dodge Neon. Just, just uh, 1988 <laughs> Ford Taurus that we drove forever. <laughs> oh, I remember the Ford Taurus. I remember when my girlfriend got one of those and she thought it was really cool. No one had the heart to tell her, you know? Like, yeah, that's, no, that, dude, we that, drove that thing forever. I used to, like, it over, Probably 15 years we had that car. I was like, right, so he just keeps drive. fixing it, right? <laughs> fixing it. Yeah. And eventually my mom had enough and she yeah. was like, okay, wait, wait, we're getting yeah. it. Done. Yeah. So okay. then he got, uh, I think it was, what was it? A Dodge. I, I don't know what it was. Some A, a Dodge other crappy car. Not a neon, but a <laughs> Dodge other crappy car. <laughs> Insert. <laughs> Insert. What did they used to call it? A, a uncool car. A hoopty. A hoopty. That's what they a would hoopty. call it. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, actually, my first car, I bought it from from that. It was a, a fairly decent car. At least it was a Subaru four-wheel drive. Okay, yeah. Um, legacy. I was like, I, okay, leather seats. I can I can deal with yeah. it. But yeah, that was the first car that, that I owned. Uh, that's, I mean, that's I head, from him. He, head and he, shoulders above a, 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 a Ford Taurus. Oh, yeah, or Dodge Crap Car. Dodge Crap Car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's the technical term. Yep, that's it. Uh, yeah, uh, and my mother, so that's what my father did. He was jack of all trades, but auto body mechanic. My mother was, uh, she worked for a lobster buyer. So they bought and sold lobsters, and she was a bookkeeper for that company. Did you, I have to ask, did you eat a lot of amazing lobster all the time? Um, yeah, when it was were you over, Or were you over it? Were you like, I don't, if I have to see one more lobster... No, it, it wasn't like that. Um, so lobsters, the season for lobster where I grew up was the end of November to the end of May. When the season began, lobsters were plentiful. Fishermen, all the local fishermen would have lobsters and give to their friends and family and stuff like that. So we did have our fair share like around November and Christmas time. Okay. okay. After that, there wasn't as many floating around because um, it's the middle of winter, lo- lo- the middle of winter. And lobsters don't crawl so much in the cold water, so the catch is down. So people don't catch as many lobsters during that time. And then probably more towards April and May, you'll start seeing more lobsters again. So it wasn't like I had them all the time. Okay, uh, okay. But I did have my fair share. I was picturing like everyday lobster. (laughs) I'm like, I got to move to Nova Scotia. What am I doing here? It it wasn't like every day. You can find them for for cheap, like $5 a pound or $6 a pound. But yeah, they're not just like, they're not hanging off the trees. 
So did your mom work in the off season? Yeah. So this lobster uh, buyer, the company that she worked for, he was a lobster buyer um, during the season. And in the summertime, he owned another fish processing plant, Got it. Um, which that's where I worked, um, in the mm. summers, which was so fun. And I smelled amazing when I left. Okay. There. Can we so fun? I'm kidding. That was, oh, okay. That okay. I was like, just you... dripping. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay. So, so your parents and there's no, they're this, from how you're describing, I'm picturing relatively normal, functional parents, like yep. if yep. there's such a thing there. And do you have siblings? I have one sister. One's older or younger? Uh, she's older. Older. Okay. And okay. So then the transition to high school is where the shit hit the fan or maybe not hit the fan, but it started to crawl into the blades. Yeah. So I, I think for me, like I had a, a comfort zone. In elementary school, I, I felt like I fit in. I right. was, I, I felt like one of the cool kids. I was good at sports and I had friends. I wasn't picked on, so on. Now, what happened was when I got to high school, I, I lost that comfort. Um, the same kids didn't go to your You had Well, they school. did, but we were now the young kids mm. in that school. And, okay. kind of, and, and people were... The cool things to do were not necessarily all sports. There were new things that made people cool. And that was, or at least from my perspective, the way I perceived people, right, chatting, right. You know, what I was surrounded with was drinking and right. partying. And on the bus going to school, people were talking about the party from the weekend, who got so messed up and who was out of whack and how cool it was. And it wasn't the talk about like, oh my God, did did you see that guy score that goal? Um, and hockey was not that at all. It was drinking. And if you're not drinking, you're not cool. At least that's how I felt. And that's where I, I think it took me probably a month. So I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm not dealing with not being cool. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to deal with myself. I don't feel like I fit in. I feel very uncomfortable as a human being. And I figured out, okay, well, I found someone on the bus. I'm like, I want to get drunk. I want to drink. I want to partake. I want to be Tell cool. Tell me about how to do this. Yeah. You know, and, what's interesting is like it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it doesn't, you know, I felt like I was born, you know, in my, with my skin on too tight. You know, I was born just feeling uncomfortable without, you know, all the, all the cliches, right? I, I felt like that. It doesn't sound like that's how you felt though. It sounds like that didn't happen until high school. Yeah. I, I think, for me, it's, I, I, I think I, I don't know if I required external validation and I, and I got it until eighth grade or what, what exactly happened. But what I see, like when I, when I got to high school and from there on is I require external validation. It took me a very long time to be okay with just like who I am. If like, I'm not being validated externally it's, it, it became hard for me. And it's still like to this day, it's like, sometimes it's like, okay, I, I have to like be aware of that. Like, oh, wow, this is just me being insecure and uncomfortable um, because I'm not getting external validation, but I am a human and I deserve blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yada, 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 self-esteem, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's in your defense, I think it's really, I think all 
creatures, all mammals need external validation to some degree, even with, with, with their mother, with their, you know, I mean, we all need, it's, I think it's the degree at which like the external validation that you, if you need someone to think you're good at something or else you want to kill yourself, right? Like, it's like, it's like that, how extreme on the spectrum. And, and I think when you get to high school, in the situation you're describing where you've always had it for these other, you always had external validation for these other things. You show up to high school. Now those other things, no one even cares about, no one's paying attention to. And so you've never had the experience. Now you have this void that you didn't even know existed. Right. And so you show up and everybody's drinking and you know why, okay, they're not dying from it. Right. Like you look at your friend, you're like, okay, well count me in. Right. (laughs) I mean, count me in. And, it's did you guys talk about alcohol or drinking or any of that stuff growing up? No. So, so you're just like, okay, they're drinking stuff and having a good time. Explain to me the downside. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I think like growing up, it's like you learn the drug. Um, don't do drugs. They're bad for you. Alcohol is part of that. But, you know, you should only drink. when you're. Yeah. And then it's like, I was like, I had some friends like when I was in eighth grade and I, they, they like went to ninth grade, they went to the high school and I started seeing them like even from eighth grade, watching them from afar is like, Oh, you're kind of changing. Okay. Um, and, and like, he, I can see, like I heard like, Oh, my neighbor is like, he's drinking. And it's like, to me, that was like, Oh, what's going on? And it was kind of a little shocking. Like, and I, I felt very uncomfortable with it. Did your sister go to the high school? Yeah. yeah. And did she drink? I mean, yep. not to put her on blast, but no, she totally drank. Uh, I'm okay. gonna put her under the bus. Okay, okay. I don't want to. <laughs> Thanks for putting me on blast. Um, so you were from you? Did you have any thoughts about that? Did you see that before you noticed this change with other people? Yeah, I, I think I I knew that she was drinking and getting in trouble um, with my parents. Her bedroom was next to mine, so when she was getting yelled at, I right. I knew. Right. Okay, so you had an idea, like you're going to get in trouble if you do this. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But it was never like my parents never explicitly had a conversation with me. Like, do not do this. It was like an unspoken rule, I think. Right. 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 A lot of unspoken rules in my house. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, is, is that the culture? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it was very much the culture is I grew up in a very private culture where it's like, I think the way your family looks to the outside is important. And I think there's a lot of cultures like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up. <laughs> totally. Totally. I think that's, I think it's very, um, I, I, my father is Jewish New Yorker. So it's like, there wasn't a lot that was left unsaid just, now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So when people are like these unspoken rules, I'm like, what's yeah. that like? <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. um, so, okay. So tell me about the first time you drank or the first cut, like how did, how does this start because uh we you know you get to a point where this is a complete shit show uh-huh so my first time drinking i bought a pint of vodka and i w- i only wanted a half pint i didn't know how much i should drink first um so i was told well start with a half pint and then see how you feel and you know <laughs> go from there and half pint of what vodka oh vodka right yeah i mean start with a half pint of vodka that's great advice yeah, yeah. Just yeah. start there like and go. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Test the water. See how you feel. Test the water. Test the water. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So the half pint yeah. of vodka. Yep. So, and I knew my parents were not going to like that I was going to a party. So the place where I was going to drink this 
vodka was at a, a party that was going to go down, a high school party. I knew my parents would say no, so I didn't tell them I was going to go. So I started out, I told my parents, hey, I'm just going to my friends. Classic. So I went to my friends. Um, they were having a pre-party gathering at their house where we, I didn't drink, but some people were already starting to drink. And then, I don't know if it was six or seven o'clock, then we drove to the house um, where I was about to go on, try something new and try drinking. And I was really nervous about it. And sure enough, I was like, okay, guys, I have this bottle and um, I, do I, how do I do this? And so I was like, really had no idea what I was doing. I had to ask, like, how much do I mix? What do I do here? Like, if I drink, I can't drink all of this. I, I don't know what I'm doing. So I had someone mix me a drink and they're like, here's how you do it. Dummy. And I had my first drink. And after my first drink, I was like, oh, I get it. This is, it, here it is. This is it. I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm, I didn't feel like I was uncomfortable, out of control. Yeah. I felt like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like nothing bad is going to happen, but nothing bad is happening. I'm actually having conversations with people that I didn't dare to have conversations with. My social anxiety seems cured. What else is, what's so bad about this? I, I didn't, like, I couldn't get it. And then after that, it was like, all right, game on. And it was just first, first, the first drunk had me. What, what did you go on to, was it, did you stick with that pint of vodka? Was that kind of your move? That uh, half pint of vodka was what I drank with for, for a little bit. It, it didn't take too long before I moved up to a pint. But yeah, for the longest time, it was like, okay, yeah, half pint, I'm not. I could control it, like after half pint, I'd be okay. I'm I'm cool. I'm done. Um, good to go. Kind of like because we'd go to dances and I'd drink a half pint before the dance, and you can't drink in the dance. But I was like, just it kind of killed any anxiety I had, and everything was cool at the dance. What kind of drunk were you? Were you nice drunk, angry drunk? What was what was the the vibe, the Craig vibe after that pint of vodka? There were different types. Oh, of Craig. oh okay. <laughs> different right. types of Craig. Okay. Was it like it was like based on how much you had, or based on the type of liquor? Because some people, it's like, oh, if I drink Cuervo, I'm you know this person, and if I drink Jack, uh, I'm this person. Yeah. So I, I vodka seemed to treat me okay, but then I moved on to rum for some reason. I was like, what? I got on the rum thing, and yeah, I that, that it didn't suit me. Um, <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Uh-huh. Didn't suit you. What does that mean? Didn't suit me. I, uh, I suddenly Rump became... didn't look good uh, on you? No. No, it didn't, mm. uh, it didn't uh, make me look good Yeah. Uh, in a respectable way. I, <laughs> I became getting very mouthy. Oh, okay. Uh, I would voice my opinions a lot. Oh. Um, and if any slight trigger that I would have where I would feel like someone is slighting me or I don't know what it was, I would go off and just like start chewing them out. Okay. You became like seven feet tall and I became huge, a muscle man like Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. I'm probably dating myself, but um No, he's making he's made the Marvel's brought him back, so you're good. Uh, Okay. Good. So yeah, I thought I was like no one untouchable and just like thankfully no one hit me or like no one hit you. No one hit me. Wow, um, I can't even say that. <laughs> right? It's, I was a complete dick asshole. And no one uh, hit you. 
no one hit me. People it's were like, what the, the hell? Canadian, it's the Canadian thing. You guys Maybe. are that's like the nice. That's nice, the really, you know what? That makes me happy to hear. Like the, the Canadians are so nice that when your friend drinks rum and he's a dick, we still don't hit him. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. it. I mean, I, but I still don't get it because, I mean, it's not like there weren't any fights. Right. Like, there were people, like, who got in fist fights, but for some reason, no one, like, I think no one took me seriously. Okay, like, okay. Who's this tall and lanky dude who can't, like, crush a peanut in his hand? Like, he's not going to do anything. Like, it's, you can't take this guy seriously. He's just wasted. And right, right. He needs help. Right. <laughs> People started calling, calling, <laughs> calling therapists for you instead. You know it's bad when they're. He needs help. <laughs> we can't punch him. He needs yeah. help. <laughs> you know, I can't be angry at this guy. He's yeah, just he's, he's lost it. He just needs help. <laughs> <laughs> how old when? How old were you when it started to like really spiral out of control? I would say probably seventeen, sixteen, or seventeen. Started okay. getting angry. Between 11th grade and 12th grade, I was became angry and the cops got involved at a New Year's Eve party because I was just a blatant idiot and yelling at people. We were at, the, um, we were at this New Year's Eve party and it was at a hotel. And I mean, everybody got pretty rowdy and it was the party was technically, I mean, it was out of control. There were holes in the walls and shit was getting smashed. And so the hotel kind of put a kibosh to that. They, they hired yeah, security. Like yeah. So they hired security and the securities came up in the halls and just started telling people to go to their rooms. And, you know, everybody else was pretty smart and just went to their rooms and went to bed. But I was just not having it. And any kind of authority was I was not having it. And so the security guards were like, hey, dude, you can mouth off, but you, you, you have a choice. You can go to your room and go to bed and it'll be over. Or you can stay in the halls and we'll call the cops and they'll deal with you. And my response was like, F you, bring the whole force was <laughs> my, were my words Yes, for the security officers. And I mean, 10 minutes later, the cop showed up and I, I was in handcuffs and in the back of a car. So and, drunk tank you went. Yeah, drunk tank I went. They called my well, I was still under the under I mean the legal drinking age was nineteen, so I was eighteen, so they called my parents um, to come get me at the police station. The next day my mom was like, All right, now you have a drinking under the under the age fine. I, they didn't find me with anything else, but it was she was like, What's going on, Craig? You're 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 out of control. You're drinking every weekend, you're like throwing up when you get home. Now you're like, I'm getting calls from the police officers. Something's wrong. And she had like tears in her eyes while she was telling me. And I was like, yeah, this is not good. I do not like this. I don't like to see my mom with tears in her eyes, especially when she's looking at me and I'm the cause of it. So I, I think that was like, wow, okay. Took a step back there. It didn't stop me, but I took a step back and made some changes. Like the type of alcohol? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was going to, I, yep. that's. I, 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 it's not in my notes, but I, I know the change well, where it's like, you know what the problem is? It's this damn rum. If yep. I only drink Jack Daniels, I'll be fine. Very true. I was like, well, at first I, I wanted to try drinking beer. Right. Yes. But I spoiled my appetite. Yeah. Take it down a notch. But I had spoiled my appetite for beer 
when I was 15. And you threw up? And I threw up mm. all night and oh, the, the next day. And then I, I was stuck with an aftertaste it. of mm. beer the next day and I couldn't get rid of it. And it took me 15 years to be able to drink another beer after that. I port wine. I drank a bottle of the dessert port. Who the fuck does that? Anyway, I drank a bottle of port wine with my younger sister and we vomited it everywhere and to like I can't get I'm sober 15 years and I didn't drink that after that I probably that was probably you know 13 I don't I can't port and I we have a long-standing disagreement about like you can't even smell that oh oh it's so bad yeah that'll do it it'll just that that one experience and then that's why I switched from vodka to Jack Daniels was vodka just turned on me one day and I really yeah for some reason, vodka didn't turn on me. So that was like after after rum, I was like, okay, rum makes me angry. Can't drink that. That's yeah. out of the question. I tried drinking beer. I couldn't drink two of them without wanting to vomit. So that was yeah. out of the question. And so, for someone who's worked at a fish processing plant, that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I still eat fish. Yeah, that's okay. There you go. There you go. Case in point. Couldn't drink a beer after this one night, but right. he still eats fish. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So what'd you do? You oh, back I to vodka? Just the vodka. Yeah. Vodka. yeah. And you know that I still had a few bouts of anger, like probably two in twenty years or not twenty years, ten years. Yeah. So I mean, to me good. I was like, that's pretty damn good. I mean I yeah. had more bouts of anger while I was sober. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two, two and 10 is, is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So did you go off to college or what did you do after, after I, you I, aged out of home? After I aged out of home, I, um, so I was one with never much of a plan for myself. I, I was living a rock and roll lifestyle. I just wanted to like live. I, I always grew up like loving rock and roll guitars and like following Guns N' Roses and all these yeah. crazy party bands. And that was the life I wanted to live. I loved music. I um, played guitar. Um, and that was the only, that was like the one thing on my brain was music. Um, and so when it came time to leave the nest, my mom was like, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, I'm going to work at the fish plant. And she was like, oh. <laughs> Try again, no, honey. you're not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so she's like, "You're going to college. Mm-hmm. You have good grades, and um, you're going to go to college." Bye, Felicia. You're out. Yeah. Later. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I, I was like, I asked her, like we talked about, it, like, what is it that I should study in college? I've never thought about this. She was like, "Well, computer science is a good subject. To, there's a yeah. lot of jobs. In that. You should do that." Like, so I did it. I went and got my computer science degree. I, that that's and that's still wrong. what I do. She's not wrong. I mean, that's yeah. you know, good it, advice. It was a great choice. I don't love it. It's not what I would. I, I don't know. Like now, like looking back, if like I probably should have put more thought into it. But for someone who didn't put a lot of thought into it, it turned out okay. Look, there are people who put the same amount of thought into it, and they get a sociology degree, and they come out <laughs> and they go, "Oh fuck." So, yeah. um, you know, there's the pros and cons. Computer science. I, I have a degree. I have a undergraduate degree in international relations of the Middle East. Let me tell you how fucking useful that is. 
Okay. If you have a treaty, you need me to look over. I'm your girl. But other than that, other than that, I could tell you a lot about, you know, I I always used to say, well, I got this degree in international relations of the Middle East. And my conclusion after all of this education is it's fucked. There's nothing. So computer science, I always I would say to people, if you're going to get a degree, make, you know, in something that's interesting, I highly suggest minor in something that's useful, like accounting or some sort of trade that you can also put with it. So I like me a computer science degree. There you go. It's never too late. (laughs) I'm getting my MBA right now. I can't even talk about it. That's amazing. So, okay. So, so you, you go off to college, you start study computer science. Obviously you make it through college. Very impressive. Alcoholic making it through college while drinking. I just absolutely hands, hats off to you. I don't know how people do that. And then where did you, were you in New York city at this point? No. So I grew up, I I went to college in Nova Scotia. It's a town called Halifax. It was, yeah, I, I was there. It was a it was uh, an associate's degree in computer science. So it wasn't as intensive, I don't think, as a bachelor's degree, but whatever. It was still two years. I passed somehow um, <laughs> uh, to get a job afterwards. Right. So that, that, that was, I was pretty proud of myself with that. But I mean, it was, college was very much a, it wasn't an all drinking type of deal. It was very much a still weekend binge drinker, but like it extended into Thursday, like Thursday, right. Friday, Saturday, instead of Saturday or Friday and Saturday. Totally. It was, just, it was three days. Thursday is a bar night. It always has been. Right. And that's, that's when all the yeah, deals. I mean, yeah. Everybody starts Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's where I started. Like I pushed the line a little bit, but it wasn't totally out of control. And during college, I think on the other nights were like, there was a lot of my friends smoking weed. Yeah, well. yeah. So started partaking in that, but nothing was really extremely out of control, whereas I couldn't handle my studies. The weekends were out of control. Like, incredible amount of alcohol was drank. There is crazy stories of the stupid shit that we did, um, whether it be, like, living on the eighth floor and, like, throwing coffee tables out the window and, wrestling matches and holes in my wall and there was one time where this I, I don't know my buddy had like these kids asked him to buy them the a six-pack so my book and my buddy comes back from going to the liquor store with these two kids, <coughs> kids. I'm like what are you doing he's like well they wanted a six-pack so i bought them a six-pack and now i'm giving them a place to drink i'm like so your buddy has bad ideas bad idea um the kid starts getting helping themselves into our alcohol oh, which for sure. vodka. they fill one kid fills like an entire like red cup full of vodka chugs it ends up like sick as a dog passed out in the bathroom puking we had to call the cops and my buddy was on mushrooms at the same time and it yeah. was just like these crazy ordeals that would yeah. never shouldn't have never happened had we been in our right mind but except for those times during the weekend, the week was still pretty normal. Do your, go to school, go to work. Not, I didn't work, but do your homework and everything was fine. I just want to jump in here and say, this is the place that I, there's two things about this. Number one, college is very confusing for people who are alcoholic because it very much normalizes the behavior of alcoholism. My sister went to Tulane in New Orleans and yeah. she's not an alcoholic. 
And I went down there and she, and the way that she and her friends would party, I was like, well, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm told, right? Like they told me in treatment, like if you black out, that's not normal. And yeah. if you, you know, if you brown out, that's concerning. And I'm like, so I was like, oh, I didn't even know people don't black out. And, and in college, all of those things are suddenly okay. And, you know, yeah. depending, particularly depending on the school you go to. And what was interesting was the difference there were the people who were just, they couldn't do the studies and they were doing that. And then there were the people who, they were alcoholics, but they, like you're describing, they managed the way that they held it together was, I'm going to hold it together these days. And then I'm just going to, you know, un uncork the bottle, you know, let out the steam kind of deal on the weekends. And so they they hid among this binge drinking culture and and kind of fit in it's when they get out of school that that behavior suddenly shows itself. But I I think it's an interesting thing. College, watching other people go through college. I went to college sober. I was like, well, wait a minute. This is, I was told this is abnormal drinking and, and it's allowed it's college has this whole other atmosphere. Yeah, very much so. And for me, it wasn't even college is where I grew up. Mm, Uh, That's still very much the culture there. Right. Uh, Right. That too. That too. Some especially rural. Yeah. It's, they drink hard on the weekends and that's just the culture that, that it is. And for me, it was like after college, I got a job still in Nova Scotia, but I was able to like fit within that, like still drink hard on the weekend that during the week you're going to work. And when I went to New York city, I got a transfer um, from whatever co- the, the company I was working at. I, I got a transfer to their head office. And then that's where shit got real. Because people there do not have the boundaries of, you, you don't, you, we drink every day, but we drink whenever we want. There's happy hours after work. We go drink right. on Wednesday if you want. In it doesn't really matter. Way or like what yeah. was, yeah, in a in social a way. Very so you, social way. Okay. And so, so then you, did you notice that your drinking was different than other people's? Yeah. Because for me, I was also new to New York City. I was now leaving a town of 1,000 where I knew everybody, going to a town of 8 million where I know no one. So I used the happy hours as a way to meet people from work and make friends. But after that, I don't know, like this was a challenge for me in getting sober is like, I don't know how to make friends unless I'm drinking. That's how I meet all my friends. Even in high school, if you go back to that, to that time period, I didn't know how to make friends. All the friends I made in high school were on the weekends while I was drinking. During the week in high school, I was a mute. I was shy, scared to talk to anybody. If I didn't know you, I couldn't, it was hard for me to make conversation. And that's still, I've had to do a lot of work on that. And New York City was no different. And I (laughs) used alcohol as a way to meet friends. A lot of people do who aren't alcoholics. So I can understand you know, how, I I think the thing to remember and that I like to talk about with alcoholism is alcoholics don't tip it until they get super into, into their disease. They don't have abnormal problems. They have abnormal reactions to normal problems, right? A lot of people struggle to make friends and to, to put themselves out there. Alcoholic reactions, we have this huge reaction, this, this, deadly reaction to these normal things, right? Like bills come in the door and we're like, ah, I can't do that. That's, you know, we put it away and then we just put it in a drawer and think that 
if we do that, that'll be fine. And then we drink, right? It's not that that's abnormal to get those bills or to not want to pay them or to have anxiety. It's our reactions. And I think what you're describing as social anxiety, a lot of normal people have social anxiety. A lot of normal people use alcohol to, to, you know, liquid courage and to, to socialize, hence like happy hours. And there's a tipping point. Yeah, very much a tipping point. And it's when you start, when you start getting the effects, the side effects of alcohol. So you use alcohol to cure your anxiety, but what you don't realize is that it also generates anxiety. <laughs> the next day. So and that's unfair. the tipping point because, at least for me, because I started drinking, like I started frequenting a bar in New York City and I met the regulars there and I became friends with them. Then I became friends with the owners there and I became with friends with the owner's friends. And all those people are still like one of the bartender who works there, the owner and the owner's best friend are still to this day, my good friends. And it's just how I went about creating friends and that created new habits for me. It's like, okay, now I'm in a drinking environment every day and I'm having drinks every day. I don't go to the bar just to socialize. I also drink. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly having alcohol in my system and what that's doing is Clearly, when I'm waking up the next day and going to work, I'm having panic attacks. I'm having anxiety. I start drinking more at night. Things like I start having a harder time controlling the amount of alcohol I, I intake. I, I start saying, it's Saturday night. Okay, I'm not going to black out. I'm not going to, I'm only going to, I'm not going to have shots. I'm, and you start, I started having all these rules and I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Like I would, Countless times I would say, okay, I'm not going to take shots. I'm, I'm not going to overdrink. I'm going to have a glass of water in between drinks. But Friday and Saturday, I don't know how I got home from the, the, the bar. I have no recollection of ever getting home. Like my friend would tell me, he's like, dude, we had to wheel you out of that bar. And was everybody, the- we all laugh, right? They were like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny. There's one, like I lived two blocks from that bar. Thank God. Thank God. But here's here's like the, one of the craziest things, like it still gets me to this day, is the owner told the bartender at closing, he's like, you got this guy in this mess. You drive him home. I lived a block and a half. The owner didn't trust that I would make it home. So I had to be driven for a, a block and a half. That's a two-minute walk, a 30-second drive. That Like that's how intoxicated and how like insane and how much lack of control I had. What did you think was going on? Like, what were some of the conversations that were going on in your head about what was happening? I I think I avoided those conversations in my head, to be quite honest. But you Uh, were having them with the rules. The rules. Yeah. So that that was it. I was, uh, it was more or less shame. Like, what's going on? God, I did it again. Okay. Uh, You moron. It was a lot of self-hatred. Um, for not being able to stick to my rules and like being out of control, um, not remembering like who I spoke to the, the next night or like any of the stories I had. I, I didn't like that. But I don't like, I don't like, I wasn't contemplating that I had a problem. Right. That never occurred That's to you. Crazy. It never occurred to me that I had a problem. <laughs> never. Uh, or just a funny bunch. It was, yeah, it was absolutely like, I look at it now. It's like, yeah, no shit you had problem and, and but at the time it was like no i got everything under control i don't need help oh, i'm not good stay tuned to hear more in just a moment i want to interrupt 
this episode to have a short little discussion about support groups. And there is no better person to talk to about this than my production coordinator, Ashley Joe Brewer, AJB, if you will. AJB, hi. Hi. Okay. You're a big fan of community. You attend community support group meetings. Give why? Why why should people care? I absolutely love community because it creates a community. And I know that sounds funny, but it truly provides a space for anyone and everyone, no matter what they are going through. Just to give you an example, I invited or told a friend about community because she was really struggling with binge eating disorder and had gone to many different groups and felt shunned or not accepted or like it wasn't a place for her. And at community, she found a place because in community meetings, it's we don't care what the substance is or what the struggle is. Everyone is accepted no matter where they are in life, no matter what they are recovering from. And I think that's what's beautiful about community. Oh, I love it. And I, I yes, I 100% agree with you that the value is that you don't have to know what your problem is, what your struggle is, what you want to give up or not give up, or whether you're abstinent or whether you're stopping one, whatever, whatever it is, you are welcome and you are welcome in this place. And it's a great place to discover the answers to all the questions that you're looking for in a community and have that support. And it's free to anyone. You go to lionrock.life. And there is a tab with community meetings. There are different days, different times, different subjects. There's even a cooking group called Community Table. There are so many different options, something out there for everyone. So I highly recommend, maybe after you listen to this, if you are looking for more community in your life, more friends, more support, please, please go check out community, lionrock.life. Click that community tab. What was the catalyst for the change in the way you thought about it, that you had a problem? How did that, how did you get to, okay. When it started affecting my, so I think in New York City, there was a time probably after three or four years of drinking pretty hard every night, I started getting anxiety the next day and that would cause panic attacks. And I would be at work and I would be in the bathroom having a panic attack, kind of meltdown, like, I, I don't know, just not knowing if I was going to live, feeling like I'm going to die. And it, it started happening more and more often. And then I kind of connected the two. I'm like, it's my drinking. My drinking so is you, No one brought it up to you. You connected. No one, ever, no one ever told me that I drank too much. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. But it is. Yeah. No one ever brought it up. I think the one, one comment my friend made to me when he came to visit me from uh, Nova Scotia was like, wow, you haven't slacked one bit talking about like how much we drink. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I did. That was probably his way of maybe telling yeah, that, me. That cultural, like saying it, not saying it. Yeah. And for me, yeah, of course not. I'm fucking living the life over here in New York City. It's a party right. every night, having a blast and living the life. This is the rock and roll lifestyle that I always dreamed about. Exactly. And that's the other thing. It's like, it's not like you grew up in New York City either. You grew up in Nova Scotia in a town of a thousand people. So this is, this is like in the movies or in the, in the, you know, the, part of it is you're living this fantasy in New York City. Absolutely. 
at these bars. Everybody knows your name. You know, these are my people. I come in. I'm I'm VIP at this bar. You know, that's that's such a great. I I did that in sobriety, which is a whole other story. But I went to bars. I was with, and I don't recommend this. Okay, so good lord, don't follow my. But I was several years sober and became a bar fly, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and not drinking, but being royalty in the, in the bar, like being, everybody knows you, that's your crew. Hey, are we going to see you there? Blah, 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 blah. You get yeah. free drinks. The bands know you. There is this, that's that, that, that outward validation. And it's fun. Yeah. It's yeah. super fun. And I feel good. like we don't talk enough about, we're like, oh, alcoholism, everything about it is bad. Everything is bad. Oh, you never want to do it. Like there's a reason that we did all this stuff, right? There were parts of it that were very enjoyable. That's why we did it. It changed on us, right? It That's where that, that, and that's the piece that's different than the people who were like, oh, I'm not sleeping enough. I think I'll stay home. Like they, they implemented a normal person reaction to a discomfort. We were like, if it's uncomfortable, just do it harder. <laughs> so so if you're not sleeping enough, sleep less. You know, just like whatever. Like our our responses are just asinine. And that's kind of how we get to this desperation piece. I think it's really interesting that nobody ever told you you have a drinking problem though. Yeah. Yeah. It it is very, very especially with the block, the owner and the one block piece, you know? That yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. No one ever said. So so yeah, sorry. So take me to my name is Craig and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, okay, so in New York City, let's see, I started having anxiety. I figured out that I started day drinking on the weekend. That was another thing that changed. Uh, yeah, just started drinking on the weekend in the day, waking up and drinking. That that increased, I don't know, it increased my anxiety tenfold by the time Monday came around. Then I realized I had so much anxiety on Monday or Tuesday at work that when I went to lunch, I had a drink. And Did you normalize it by saying like, oh, it's a mimosa or, oh, it's a, like, did you normal? No. Okay. So you were like, fuck it. Let's have the vodka. Okay. I, I'm, I'm curing this anxiety. Okay. We're, 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 we're straight to the point here. Yeah. This is like, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't think like I was like, I, I have a problem that I knew that I was going to have to change it. Okay. Like okay. I knew this wasn't going to like last. Of life. You knew it wasn't this working. It wasn't going to end well <laughs> if I continued this habit. Right. Okay. Okay. Got it. But I mean, the habit kept going and it like started on Mondays, started having anxiety and having a drink for lunch, then Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Then it became an everyday thing. Then it became a thing of, wow, I need like, I can't even make it to noon. I need to have a drink. At whenever the bar opens, I got to be there and have my screwdriver. And before you knew it, I was beating the bartenders to their job. And like, why, why not just buy it? Why are you paying all that money? Well, drinking. Yeah. For me, I had this rule, like drinking at home. Okay. That that would be a really bad thing. Okay. Still, still some rules we're following. Okay. Some rules. They would quickly be broken though. Yeah. Uh, Soon enough, I would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, needing a drink, having too much anxiety, waking up in the morning. I'm like, fuck it. I'm having another drink. Right. I saw a therapist in New York City about my drinking. And that was like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm struggling to keep this under control. But a therapist is all I need, right? 
Yeah, um, obviously. This, this will fix me. I, I'll be good. But going to the therapist, it was like, I'm not coming. I, I was very straight with the therapist. I'm not here to quit alcohol. Yeah. I'm here to moderate. Yeah. Uh, you're going to help me moderate. And this, this, I don't, I've never been to therapy before, but this is, I'm sure this is the answer to my problems. Yes. And we, I don't know, for probably a couple months, I was able to not drink during the week and not okay. drink much during the weekend. So I was like, okay, this is kind of, yeah. this is okay. But then came uh, a layoff at where I was working. I was part of a layoff. I don't know. It was like 30% of the company or something was laid off. And I'm sure my performance had something to do with me being thrown into that pile that, that I wasn't fired at the same time. Right, right. Um, from my job, I was still like managing to do the work that right. I was supposed to do was paid yeah. for. Just not um, like optimal performance. Maybe not optimal. Like I was working <laughs> from home an awful lot with a glass right, right. of alcohol or working from the bar. Right, right. Um, yeah, naturally. Where I lived. But yeah, anyway, I got laid off and I got severance. That's where shit really got out of control. Yeah, yeah. Bender money. Uh, bender money. Four months of it. So I was now, I was still looking for jobs, um, but I would open the bar with the bartender and I would close the bar with the closing bartender and drinking every day from 11 a.m. till 4 a.m. every day. And eventually I managed to get an interview with a boss, an old boss of mine. He had moved to Austin. And he told me, he was like, hey, I really liked how you, the work you did. Um, if ever you move to Austin, let me know. I, I'll hire you any day. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm having a hard time getting a job in New York City. So I'm just going to call this guy up. And yeah, sure enough, he got me an interview. And on the interview, actually, it was like a, a, a Zoom interview like this. And I had a cup with wine in it during the interview. And I still got the job. And they gave me, they gave me more than what I asked for in terms of money. Nice. But I was like, okay, I still got this. this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Confidence builder. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I moved to Austin and I started, I was, I managed to not drink during the day when I got to Austin for probably a month or two. And then I, I was having like some serious withdrawal um, yeah. at that point from alcohol. I remember I went to a, an event with work and they had um, servers like serving some sliders. And when I went to grab one, my hand shook so bad that the top bun went flying. The oh, tomato wow. went flying the other way. The patty was on the ground. And I was left with nothing but the bottom bun in my hand. And the server would just look at me with her eyes wide open like, what the hell just happened, dude? And I was like, uh, <laughs> and just ran to the bar knowing I need alcohol. Like, mm. This is just this is withdrawal of yeah. alcohol, and it probably a couple months later, I I woke up in the middle of the night and use, I went to use the bathroom. But when I was come, walking back to bed, I I don't like I was still half asleep, three sheets to the wind. But I remember like there was this dark cloud around my head that I I could like visually see. Like it wasn't just mm -hmm. I was feeling it; I could see it, and it. I don't know what it was about it, but it scared the living shit out of me. And I, the next day I woke up, I broke down and I, that's when I was like, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm done. And that was my first 
like that was, I need help. I can't do this. I'm out of control. I'm drinking 24 seven. Some days I'm drinking a 40 ounce of vodka for Christ's sakes. Like this is too much. Uh, I'm killing myself. I'm getting bruises for no apparent reason. Oh yeah. Oh God. I, I started, forgot about the bruises. Yeah. yeah. It was like, I'd be like, like, I must have fallen down or something. Yeah, it was you, like, know, you have no idea. And I had like huge bruises on my leg, my arm, mm-hmm. my back. Um, at one point I was losing hair. Yeah. Um, I lost my hair. I, I would, I had eczema or I have eczema, but like any like little kind of scratch, I would like start bleeding uncontrollably because my blood was so thin. It took nothing yeah. to make me bleed. It was just yeah. like, all these things. And I would have like the depression that it caused. Like there were times where I would just like break out and start crying Yeah, out of nowhere. And I had no idea why I was crying. I do it was now. not working anymore. You yeah. know, the, the alcohol, we hired it to do this job and it helped as you describe, it helps. And then it turns on you. And what people often don't think about, and why would you? Cause you're in the midst of like it working, but alcohol has a rebound effect. A lot of drugs, a lot of um, prescription drugs have this as well, but there's a rebound effect. And what that means is that it actually starts at, there's a, there's a cross, a a point at which that medication or alcohol in this case starts to cause the exact same condition that it's curing, right? Benzodiazepines do this. They actually start to create anxiety and alcohol as a depressant it will start to create massive anxiety in you. And we hired it for this job. We hired it to to help us with our anxiety. And now all of a sudden it's creating it. And we're in this vicious cycle because we need to drink it momentary relief and then continue, continue, continue. Frankly, it's like that with nicotine too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much the same. And like it, it burned me. Yeah. Like it was like, yeah. Was, yeah. It burned. Yeah. It was like, what the it fuck? burned my ass. So what, when you were like, okay, at this point, what did you know about alcoholism? Like from, from what you saw in the movies, from things people told you, did you know anyone who got sober? I didn't really know anybody that got sober. I knew there was, I knew people with alcohol problems. Okay. And I knew some of them got sober. I had actually, no, I did know some people who quit drinking alcohol. Cause I remember asking them about it. I'm like, okay. I, I how, how are you getting sober? Like, how did that work for you? And I had one friend who said he was just like, I don't know, man, I just kept trying. Yeah. I, I didn't do anything like go to AA or anything. I just kept trying. I had another friend who, who was a bartender in New York City that I met. Um, he was a chef. And he was like, yeah, I have a lot of friends who go to meetings. They find that helpful. But he, he did it himself. He told me. He was just like, yeah, it was just not working for me. So I, I, I had to give it up. And that's all I knew about it is like, wow, okay, like just keep trying to not drink. It'll just suddenly work. And that's all I like. That's all I knew about it. I had no idea about like withdrawal. I had no idea about what the process is like, except for AA, like, and see, like knowing what I've seen from movies. That's all I knew about like AA and how it worked. I didn't, right, right. I didn't know that there was a, a detox. Um, yeah. Facilities. I didn't know what that meant. Um, right. I didn't know that alcohol had severe withdrawal effects that are can be dangerous. Yeah. So let me just stop right here and say that just so that anyone who's listening, please do not stop. If you are, if you have a, a real, you know, a dependency and whatever you want to call it on alcohol, please, please, please do not stop drinking at home by yourself. So many people die that way. Alcohol detox can kill you. It is deadly. Alcohol and benzodiazepine detox 
has a higher chance of killing you, but alcohol on its own doesn't matter that you're 35, healthy, you know, whatever you've done it before, seizures, it can kill you. Please, for the love, seek outside help. They will give you medication to help the process so that you don't die. People die withdrawing themselves from alcohol all the time. Okay, PSA done. I appreciate that. I I could have used that message. Um, Yeah. There, there were times where I, I tried to stop drinking and I like I was like so physically ill. Yeah. Uh, like the shaking and profusely yep. sweating. And sometimes there were some like some slight hallucinations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, nightmares were insane. And yep. it was just like they it was dangerous. But when I broke down um, on that day and I was like, I can't do this. So I was I, I skipped over a part, but I was married during this time. And when I broke down. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that was my, that was my accomplishment while drinking. Yeah. I got married and divorced. I mean that that getting married during you know heavy alcoholism definitely an accomplishment that you're tra- attracting people. Yeah, I, I I don't know how, but um, it, it was it was a relationship built on alcohol. That's how we yeah like every we went out to dinner. We drank before, like we partied yeah. at home before we went yeah. out to ate dinner. Yeah, uh, those heavily dependent on alcohol. I had a lot more like I had issues with alcohol. I, it, it, eventually came to burn me like I said for her not so much but she still wanted to party and then you know me needing to be sober and right right I became boring to her it doesn't work out well that way when you have a relationship built on alcohol but anyway that day her mom or my mother-in-law at the time was there and she had a brother who was an alcoholic and who she had experience dealing with so she knew about detoxes she knew about aa she knew about withdrawal she was a nurse so when i broke down that day and her being there it was actually a huge thank god you were married yeah it was i i don't know what i what i would have done to be honest because that day she was like she looked at me she was like okay do you want to get the help that you need and i just like i was crying i was just like yeah and she was like, okay. So she made some phone calls to some detoxes. Um, and that's where I checked in to a detox. And that's where they gave me the, the medication to help me with withdrawal. I felt, I, I think like when I woke up the next day at, in the detox, like that was probably the most amount of shame I've ever felt. I, I was like, what, how did I get here? Yeah, you look around. Yeah. And it's just like, how did I like, I, I, my mind just couldn't comprehend what I had just done. But after a day, I started like talking to other people and doing whatever you do in, in the detox. They have like meetings and stuff in there. And I started like just getting acquainted with other people. And I started understanding that other people there with me are just, they're, we're all in the same boat. And mm-hmm. eventually, like probably by the second day, it, I had a feeling of that I've never had in a long time. It was a feeling of belonging. I was like, I felt comfort where I was like, wow, we're all in this together and, you know, we have a problem. It's okay. It doesn't make us bad people. We're just, yeah, it's just like, it was like a camaraderie that I've never had in a really long time. And it was like a connection that I had with people that I didn't have to be drunk for. Right. (laughs) Go figure. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do know. And and it a lot of the things, I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot of the things I was doing 
like when I relapsed, I was high, I lived alone and I was hiding alcohol like in my bed sheets and doing like, I, you know, I would hide wine in the bed. I, I don't know what. I did these weird things that were completely unnecessary. I get if you live with people, like you're hiding alcohol from people, but I wasn't hiding alcohol from anyone. But these things that I did that I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. And then I would hear, oh, I did that too things I didn't even know were related to alcoholism. And so I started to understand so much more about myself and how many pieces of my behavior and my life, I exhibited these symptoms. Like I I just had no under, you know, like I said, with the blackout thing, like I just didn't know that normal people didn't black out. I really just didn't. I, someone said to me, Ashley, people who aren't alcoholics don't wonder if they have an alcohol problem. And I, I mean, that blew my mind, blew yeah. my mind. I I just, because if you don't have that experience, right? Like I don't have that experience. I'm likely not hanging out with the people who are, you know, drinking just a little bit or whatever. So it just, I had no, you don't know what you don't know. And so when you go to these detox, when you go to treatment, when you go to AA, when you go to, you know, she recovers, when you go to community meetings, whatever, like the recovery meetings, you realize like these people uh, tell, explain to you why you do the things you do. And it's so, it's such a relief, right? Cause you just, you feel a lot less weird. Yeah, I know. Hiding. I, I, I think the, the one thing that like blew my mind is like, I, I read one time, it was like a sign that you have a drinking problem is if you're embarrassed by your trash. Totally. Right. <laughs> or you're yeah, doing but, something weird uh, with your trash. Like you're yeah. separating it and taking half of it or yeah. Yeah. I would like, I, I was. Especially I, in New York I, city. I visit, yeah. I would visit my parents in Nova Scotia and I was still drinking every day so that I, I couldn't leave the trash like in the regular trash because my parents would see you know, a bottle of vodka every night so right. I would have it all these empty bottles in my suitcase uh-huh. and then once they were gone at night I would put them in a bag and then drive to the store put them right. in the garbage there right like, what But you know, what's amazing is, I don't know if you had this experience. I did a lot of like weird tinkery things like that, that I, it wasn't a conscious, like until afterwards, I didn't really think about it. Like I used to put alcohol in my sheets so that I would wake up and like just grab them and like they were in the sheets. So I slept with bottles of alcohol. That didn't occur to me as strange. Like it didn't register or like hiding things in my closet and, you know, all this stuff. I, it's, it was like until I reflected back or heard other people's stories, I was like, oh, I did do that. Oh, I, you know, and you don't, it's so part of your process of your normal drinking life, especially if you're living alone and you don't even think about it. You just, and then, and then that's, there's that camaraderie like, oh, I did that too. I guess I do have a lot of these alcoholic yeah. traits. Yeah. It's very much, I like the thing that you, you, uh, that you said about not understanding what, that other people don't black out. When I, when like, if I would have been in my drinking day thinking about that, my, my thought would have been, oh, they're not living. <laughs> if you don't remember last night, you didn't have a good time. Yeah. I mean, I, I relate to that. I really do. I really do. I mean, it's really why I still can't drink, to be honest yeah. with you, because yeah. I'm like, if you are not vomiting so that you can drink more, right? Yeah. And you know, completely fucked up. Your nose is bleeding from the blow. Like why even do it? Yeah. Why even yeah. do it? What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. You're Wasting not drinking. Time. 
Totally, totally. If you do not wake up the next day unsure about where you are, yeah. did you even have a good time? Yeah, yeah. No. That's yeah, I get it. And, if and it then ain't you, wild, it ain't fun. Right. And then you meet this group of people, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah. And they get, they get your crazy thinking. And it's, it's really this relief, you know, to find out I was an alcoholic was such a relief. Cause I was worried it was something way worse. Yeah. I wasn't, I was like, I'm going to be schizophrenic. I didn't know that like, if you're, if your own voice is talk in your head, like that doesn't mean you're schizophrenic. Cause I was like, I got voices in my head <laughs> and, and uh, they're my own though. So we're in good shape. But I, I mean, I didn't know what was wrong. Like I, I, you know, I thought it was way, way worse, particularly mixing all these different things. Like I presented as all these different disorders. And then you take all that stuff away. And it's like, no, you're an alcoholic. Like you drinking makes you insane. That's to me, oh, I'm an alcoholic. All these people are recovering. There's a solution. These people are rad because they would have been the people I was partying with at the bar. Like they get me. It's not like, oh, we're all sober and boring. No, we we went out and did it. And now we're back because we, you know, we had to stop. You're still my people. You're still my people. And so now I'm in this group, this sober group. And it's awesome because I get to trudge the road of happy destiny with a group of people who get my crazy, my, my flavor of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Flavor of wild. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, Craig, honestly, right now, like I live in the suburbs. I have two kids. I'm married. We have a minivan. Okay. And everything that comes along with that. And sometimes I'm like, I just want to shave my head. You like, just to, like, <laughs> I still have the crazy wild in me. Yeah. I've, I've learned how to deal with it and like outlets of different ways, but it's, it is alive and well. And many, many times I'm like, this is so normal. I'm going to lose my mind. Like I yeah. can't, you know, so, but I get to call my girlfriends and be like, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I totally hear you, you know, whatever it is. And, and that intensity in us is great, but we have to channel it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Tame it a little bit sometimes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it's my, my flavor of wild where, where it starts to get dangerous is where I have this tendency where I will burn shit down if I get like it's just like I don't know if if I get upset or angry it's like oh well this isn't working so let's just burn it to the ground it's like I forget what they call it there's a word I'm looking for but self-sabotage self-sabotage yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. That, that is my my flavor that is where I know that I am crazy sometimes like right I, I can I can self-sabotage right well it's an all or nothing thinking right because yeah, it's like for me I, I if I'm gonna be a drug addict and an alcoholic I'm gonna be the best the most best fucked addict. up alcoholic you have ever seen right I'm gonna go hard in the paint I think that that mentality that's the thing that takes us over the edge because we don't want to do anything half-assed which is great when you put it towards positive <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the problem is when you put it towards other things and you decide yep. to burn it to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where a lot of that crazy still lies. And it's just like having the awareness around it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Let's channel this. I, I, I'm just like not pleased with myself. It doesn't mean I have to burn everything to the right. ground. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm not happy with this situation. However, I do not need to burn it to the ground. I yeah. can go sit and not say anything. anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can go meditate. And totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. No, it's totally that, that. And you learn that it takes a while, but you, you do learn that. And it feels so much better to not burn everything to the ground. It does. Yeah. And in, in the, at the, at the moment, it may feel like you really mm-hmm. want to, and it doesn't feel good. But after you let these feelings pass through, oh, everything's okay. The temporariness of feelings was something I really didn't understand because for me, I never let a feeling go from start to finish. Oh, I had a fe- I had a feeling, and then I drank yeah. or I right. used or I whatever. Like I, I, so in my head, my experience is that feelings never have an ending because the only ending they ever had was the artificial one that I inserted. So yeah. to experience a feeling as temporary was something I had to do in recovery, and I had to trust that when people said this feeling is going to end, you are not going to feel this way forever. Cause of course mm-hmm. it feels like you're going to, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. This, I feel this, I'm going to feel this way forever. And that those feelings pass. And in, yeah. you know, at that time you're like, I'm a caged animal. Like I'm a caged yeah. animal that wants to destroy. I'm going to let this feeling pass. And then it becomes like, okay, this is temporary. And you, you learn how to do it. Your brain starts to acknowledge that this is not this uncomfortable state won't be there forever. But in the beginning, kind of what you said with the shame and, and detox, right? Well, detox, I mean, nobody goes into detox on a winning streak, right? Like it's always feel good. Yeah. No, it's just, that's just the name of the game. So you, you know, but that letting understanding that a feeling has a, a beginning middle and an end. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I, I, now I can pass through feelings and, let them go and then decide what I want to do as opposed to deciding in the middle of the feeling that's going to be there forever and then creating a whole big mess. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you. You're like understanding that feelings are not permanent. Right. Nothing is permanent. Who the fuck knew? Yeah. Not even <laughs> happiness, which sucks. But right. And that's a great point. To, to know. Yeah, that's a great point because that's the other thing. We also were like, oh, well, we have to feel good all the time too. Yeah. And when I got sober too, I was like, what the fuck? I don't feel good all the time. This is terrible. Who who signed yeah. me up for this? Yeah. And aren't you supposed to feel good all the time? Aren't you supposed to? No, like yeah. elation, this, you know, taking ecstasy. The reason we took drugs was we wanted to stay hot, like at this high point the whole time. Well, we're just chemically not made for that, right? It's supposed to ebb and flow. You're not supposed to try to <laughs> keep it on high the whole time. You know, we just yeah. keep hitting that button trying to keep the keep it on high. So that's it's something you you're right. Like that's also temporary. Yeah. Everything and it's just like you have to brace yourself. And I think what what I learned about that is that is where I learned about gratitude. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, this isn't going to last forever. So I have to be grateful for this moment. Enjoy it. And enjoy it because it ain't going to last. <laughs> but it's going to come back, right? It if I continue, like that's the, yeah. and now I have something to look forward to. I have this range of emotions, which yeah. in the beginning of sobriety is absolutely terrifying. But it it is, you know, when I had my, when I, I had twin boys, when I had my twin boys, it's like that feeling. And then you take them home and you don't sleep and you have that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it, it's all this stuff, and and you get to have this full range, like a full life experience, right? I I think for me, and kind of what I hear from you is like I thought a full life experience was all of the things that would make up like a after school special, like if like a full life experience was like, were you in a car chase last night? No, okay, <laughs> you you're not living, right? Like like. My life had to be so, and it is like the stories from back in the day, they're so absolutely asinine. Like telling these stories 
are so ridiculous that sometimes just telling them, I'm like, how is this? How, how did I, oh my God. But if that wasn't happening, it was like that rock and roll thing. Like if I was not doing something insane and having an insane, insane thing, then like it was dead. Like I, I was, it was lame and I was not doing anything. And, and having to let go of like, first of all, you're not going to be 19 forever. Second of all, life isn't just like, you know, the craziest things you could do. Like there's this beauty and normalcy that I just, I didn't have any, I didn't have any, uh, what's the word regard. I didn't have any regard for the beauty of a normal life too. Yeah, absolutely. There's like, yeah, there's so much beauty to life and just like now being sober and being able to like, what I actually appreciate now is when I get to look back at like a bad time when I'm like feeling like really anxious or like, I feel like everything's like crumbling down and I get through those feelings, but then I get to look back and I kind of laugh at it's like, cause I laugh at myself. It's like, Man, you're a nut, Craig. Like nothing's going all that <laughs> nothing's wrong. Actually, nothing's happening. You know, nothing the world happening. is you're caving in. Freaking yeah. out. Oh god. Nothing's happening. Yeah, like literally no one's talking to you. Nothing's happening. The whole world's yeah. falling apart. You're in your room. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like I there's like a certain level of appreciation like that's that's what life is and feelings like a full right. a full range of emotions like that's part of it. Right. And just being able to look at that and be like, "Wow, okay, that is funny." And being able to withstand it during the moment, knowing that, okay, this mm-hmm. is probably going to be funny or meaningful, <laughs> right. um, is helpful to get through it too. But yeah, just like seeing like different parts of the world now, instead of like going, now I, I like to go hiking up mountains. And it's like mm. just seeing like the beauty that Mother Nature right. provides us. It's like before I would have been like a tree. Who gives a goddamn about a tree? Like right. not, it sits there. It stands there. There's right. nothing beautiful about it. It doesn't do anything. But now, right. like, oh, wait, this thing is actually older than me. It's like, right. It's, it's seen, seen a lot. Than, yeah. Yeah. Like there's a, it's just a different perception on, on life and everything around us in general. I think for one thought I had was for people like us, it is extraordinary that we can live what others might call a boring, normal life. Right. Like, we used to live what we thought was extraordinary, but the truth is for alcoholics and drug addicts, it's not that extraordinary for us to be drunk and high, right? That's not, it's not that abnormal. Yeah. The, the, the actual, it's normal. it's normal, right? That's our, that's our, that's our, you know, homeostasis. Yeah. And, and for us to live normal, sober lives, that's actually extraordinary. Like the normalcy, if yeah. my life is extraordinary. Because that doesn't happen for people like me. That doesn't, you know, that that have it, it's a very small percentage of people who, you know, stop drinking, stop using needles, who end up with a life like mine. That is a very small. So that's extraordinary in its normalcy, in its minivan, in its all that shit that I am like, oh my God, someone help me. That part the is is extraordinary. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is like we we go out and the ability to experience these things. It's just not our natural state. So we, we've, we've had to do work to get there. It took a lot of work. But, but it, you know, it works out. Um, and, and I'm grateful every day that I get to do that. So, What did your work look like? Software engineering. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> what, what did, how did you, how have you stayed these last three years? Uh, <laughs> I've stayed software well, engineering. No, these last three years, what have you done? I mean, I, I've done a number of things. So I did a... 
So I said, um, so detox was the first thing I did. Um, after that detox, I did a five-week outpatient okay. uh, program. I think the only thing I've never done is inpatient. That I've done the outpatient program. I was able to remain. That was the first time where I remained sober for a month. However, at the end of the five weeks, I was already drinking again. And then probably a month later, I was back to square one um, in my drinking withdrawal. Mm-hmm. It happened so fast. It happened so fast. And then I was like, I, I didn't check into another detox, but I managed to go through the withdrawals and I started AA um, and starting attending AA regularly. And I was only able to get like, I don't know, maybe nine days, 10 days. And then I'd relapse, drink for a week, start again. And it was just like a, a real, I don't know, it was a roller coaster, um, just trying. I got, I ended up getting a sponsor. And I think we got to step five and then I was just, I, I couldn't hold it. And then I just relapsed and I, I just let myself go for a bit. Now, what had ended up happening was, I, as I said, I was married at the time. My, my wife was gone on a trip to visit her friends in New York City. I was in Austin. I was starting to get back to the point of like, I may need detox. And when she was gone, I went to a urgent care facility. I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't check into a detox. I can't, I don't know, um, but my alcohol is out of control. So he prescribed me some I, I, Librium or Ativan or one of them um, to help with the withdrawal symptoms. So by the time my, ex or my ex-wife got back, I was good to go. I was like, my withdrawals were all gone, alcohol, I was sober. I ended up doing that for the good part of the year, getting sober, staying sober for a week or relapsing within a month being like in really bad shape and I was really depressed um, like I wasn't happy I was just I was really struggling to keep it together and eventually my wife left me um, understandably and yeah that was that I went on one last or I went on a, a bender and then I checked myself into the second detox after that detox I went to Canada for three weeks to visit my family um, I didn't do any other kind of treatment. When I came back to Austin, I did AA again. Um, it's, it's all I really knew. And that worked for four months. Four months after that, it was New Year's Eve. And I wasn't planning to drink that day. But I went into a meeting thinking everything was hunky-dory and everything would be great. And some guy just started talking about relapsing. And he started telling stories about the times he relapsed. Mm. And something flipped in my head by the time the meeting was over. Uh, the decision was made that I was yeah. that day. And I, I went to a bar. I thought about drinking. I looked at the drink for a little bit, not knowing what to do. I knew I was sober for four months. I knew if I drank, it probably wouldn't be good. That my tendencies to burn things to the ground led me to take that drink. And then for that, like that day, I drank four. I went home, took a nap. Then I was like, well, may as well keep it going. Went to another bar. Then I, I know I went to a strip club, and I, I remember asking for cocaine, and I had no recollection after that. And then for the next week, I was drunk, puking, miserable. And then after that week, I was like, oh, no, I, I can't do this. this. I'm not going down this road again. And I weaned myself off alcohol. And by, by Monday, I was like, January 8th was my first 
is my sober date right now, January 8th, 2018. And then I continued with AA uh, for about four months. And then eventually, I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't really connect with AA all that much. It was a place more of where I, I found community. Um, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I met a lot of great people there. I don't go to meetings so much, but I, I also tried. Um, I went to like individual therapy with a counselor. Mm-hmm. I did group counseling. I did, there is a meditation for recovery um, group out of a, a Buddhist place. Um, yeah. out of so I attended that um, for a little bit, which was great. And I think after, I don't know, after some time after that, that last sobriety date, after yeah. about four or five months, I weaned, like I stopped going to AA. I didn't find it beneficial. But what I ended up finding was I, I started like getting caught up into self-esteem issues. I started facing myself. I got into another relationship. I'm still in that relationship, but I, I started like getting triggered um, and yeah. I started seeing myself and getting really uncomfortable. And that, that led me to do all the work um, mm. that, that I've been through. Like, had I not gotten into another relationship, I feel like it would have been a pink cloud. Um, right. I don't know like, how I would have faced myself, but that relationship made me face myself. Yeah. All my insecurities, all my shyness, all my anxiety, all my depression, everything that goes on in my head or body came up. All my wounds came out. And yeah, just, it was really difficult and challenging. And like, it really challenged myself as like a man and a human being and like, who am I? And it's, it's really where I learned like, wow, I'm not perfect, but nor is anybody. Yeah. You know, you're in good company. These these things like where I was like growing up, where I wanted to be the best hockey player, best baseball player, the best guitar player, mm-hmm. and the best, the best, the best. And like that's a common theme in my life is thinking that if I'm not the best, mm-hmm. then I'm not worthy. And those things came out like in my sobriety. It's like, oh, yeah. wait, I have there's perfectionism running under here. There's constantly and I'm not good enough tone that, that's running under my life. And that's why, like, I, I, I want to burn the shit down. It's like, well, I'm not good enough. This, um, this is not going to work. So I'm going to burn this fucking shit to the ground. Sorry, excuse my language, but I love it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's just what I learned about myself. And it's like I have these tendencies, and that it's okay, but I have to have awareness around them, and it doesn't mean that I have to react the way that I want to react. And right. I can create that space between my reactions if yes. I'm aware of it. Space. You know, yep. Space is, is the thing that I give myself now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I relate so much to the being about like mediocrity is, is like worse than anything ever. And what I learned was like, I have to be my best. Like I missed that part. Like yeah. not the best, my best. And yeah. if I'm my best, then I'm winning. Right. And I'm, and that's an okay goal. Like I can try to be better than Ashley yesterday or try to be better than Ashley five years ago or whatever it is. But if it has to be my best, not a comparison, that's very, that's very hard. Yeah, it is hard. I still struggle with that. And it's like, I have to remind myself, like, this is the only life that matters here is you. Right. (laughs) You have to accept yourself. Right. How can anyone else if you can't? Exactly. And yeah, if you, if you don't love yourself, you can't love another person properly. Right. 
And that's the thing properly, right? Like, I think yeah. that's what people always say that and you're like, well, I'm, I've loved people, so screw yeah. you. It's like, no, it's it, the way it is, is if you don't love yourself, the relationship, you, you'll, you can love someone else, but it's going to be, it's going to have that, those threads of dysfunction and toxicity yeah. into it because you don't know how to properly value your own contributions. That's it. Yeah. What, tell me you're doing, you have a website called Mind Uncaged. Mind Uncaged. I was going to say Uncaged. Mind Uncaged. Tell us what that is. So after going through my struggles, I was like, I I realized what I was missing. A core part of my life was that I didn't really have purpose. So my career was something that my mom told me to do. And, you know, I, I make okay money. I have a house. I have a roof over my head. I have food, whatever. But nothing's really meaningful to me. And I'm not really giving anything back. So I created Mind Uncaged um, to be a to give people back what I I was missing. So I went through like a really hard time with alcohol, as we discussed here. But also the recovery was it was it was really hard for me to be okay with myself and really find myself in this world in my sobriety. And I want to help others do the same. Um, so I created Mind Uncaged. Um, I, it started as a blog. Uh, I'm now a certified recovery coach that, if, you know, I, I work one-on-one with individuals and I, I, I do have a lot of tools in my bag now through the three years of trying numerous different modalities of recovery that there, I, I'm guaranteeing that there's a tool that will work for you or increase the quality of your life. Um, especially in sobriety. So that's where Mind and Cage was born. And just out of the love of others and myself and wanting everyone to have a chance at a meaningful life. Um, that's where that was born. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. So people can go to minduncaged.com. Yeah. And your Instagram is mind.uncaged. That's correct. And you have a free ebook. I do. Um, I have two of them. One of them is, well, it, it is my story. And then the other one is some tips on how to rock your first 30 days of sobriety. Mm, love that. Yeah. So love there's that. a number of different tips to build um, confidence, getting through cravings, um, working on your mindset, how your mind will play games on you, how you can counteract that, um, journaling exercises, et cetera. Love that. Thank you so much for being here, Craig. I had such a good time. Well, thank you so much. I, I really love this podcast and it's an absolute you. pleasure to be a part of it and to share this with you. So thank, thank you so you. much for doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Craig. You're welcome. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meeting schedule and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at LionRock.life.